this is Allison Sheridan of the NoSilicast podcast, hosted at podfeet.com, a technology geek podcast with an ever so slight Apple bias. Today is Sunday, May 2nd, 2021, and this is show number 834. Well, guess what? This week we have not one, but two Chit Chat Across the Pond episodes. In Chit Chat Across the Pond episode 683, my, my guest is Christoph Zajek Denik. Christoph worked as a TV producer while touring in a rock band. He's a drummer, an actor, a stuntman, a surfer, a journalist, a podcaster, and a public speaker. He's also four feet, four inches tall, and is a rare form of dwarfism. Christoph hosts an amazing podcast that I absolutely recommend. It's entitled, I'm Kind of a Big Deal. In this podcast, he interviews amazing little people doing really cool things. From actors to professional surfboarders, he learns about their lives, their professions, and has a good laugh with everyone. He's also done several shows describing the surgeries he's had to endure and how grateful he is to his parents for having them done. We talked about how to stand when talking to little people, how people stare at little people, his surgeries, little people in acting, and pedal extenders so he can drive. We laughed a lot, but the conversation gets deep and kind of introspective as well. I had an absolute blast, and I think Christoph did too. Here's a spoiler for you. He's going to teach me to surf. Go check out Chit Chat Across the Pond Light in your podcatcher of choice to find episode 683 with Christoph. In Chit Chat Across the Pond 684, it's another episode of Programming by Stealth with Bart Bouchotts. He calls it the push and pull of Git. When Bart started this mini-series within a series on using Git for version control, he explained that our journey would be in three phases. Phase one was the section where we learned about local repositories. Phase two was dedicated to learning how to have multiple repositories just for ourselves. In this lesson in Chit Chat Across the Pond 684, we finish up phase two by learning how to push and pull changes from our imaginary desktop to our imaginary network attached storage to our imaginary laptop and back. I slowed the class down a few times with some confusion I had, but Bart always claims that my confusion often helps other people who might be hung up on the same thing. I enjoyed myself immensely, even when I was confused. Now, we're about to enter phase three, where we'll learn how to collaborate with others. We're going to be doing this collaboration using GitHub because it's pretty much the de facto home for most open source projects. When you're done listening to Programming by Stealth 115 and studying the show notes very carefully, you might want to get yourself a GitHub account so you can be ready for the next lesson. As always, you can find Bart's fabulous show notes for this episode at pbs.bartificer.net and look for Programming by Stealth in your podcatcher of choice. This week, I had the great pleasure of being on Clockwise again with hosts Micah Sargent and Dan Morin, along with guest Jeremy Burge. He's the creator of Emojipedia. We talked about whether and how we encourage our friends and family to update their software, what kind of keyboards we like, and how to deal with poor internet connectivity. That one was from, was from Jeremy because he lives on a boat. Anyway, we also covered my currently favorite subject, as you'll hear later in the show, the fiddliness of macOS. Be sure to check out Clockwise episode 396, where probably in your podcatcher of choice, and there's also a link in the show notes. Everyone and their sister has been reviewing AirTags this week with various opinions on whether they're awesome or not. I'm not going to do a full review of AirTags because you've probably already heard it already, but I do have a funny story to tell. Originally, I was going to do a review that was going to be entitled something like, Are AirTags as disappointing to you as they are to me? The reason for the article was because my first experience with AirTags was surprisingly bad. 
I took my shiny new AirTag out of the plastic wrap, being careful to pull it out of the battery compartment. The AirTag made a delightful little chirp to tell me it was working. A pop-up arrived on my phone showing a spinning AirTag, and by following the on-screen instructions, I was able to easily name the AirTag, add an appropriate emoji, and give it my phone number to be contacted if anyone found my AirTag. I named my AirTag Handbag, and I put it in my purse. I walked a few rooms away, and in the Find My app, I tapped on the new Items option that's in there, and showed my purse. And it showed my purse was at my home address on a map. Okay, so far so good. I selected the purse icon from the list, and I tapped Find, expecting to be rewarded with an on-screen arrow like everyone on Earth has been demoing on the internets. But I didn't get a green screen with a happy arrow showing me how far away my device was. Instead, I got a sprinkling of little dots in a circle, and the message on screen said, Connected. Signal is weak. Try moving to a different location. Well, when this happened, I was only like one large room away from the AirTag, but, you know, I moved into the hallway where I was maybe 10 feet from the device. Still, no joy. It wasn't until I was actually in the same room with the thing that Find My showed me an arrow and said I was within six feet of it. Well, that isn't in the least bit helpful if I have to be in the same room with it in order to find it, right? That's not helpful at all. Well, I started thinking this fancy interface really was only designed for diving inside your couch like in the marketing video during the Spring Loaded event. But before writing up how dumb I thought AirTags were, I went over to our Slack at podfeet.com slash Slack, and I wrote to Marty Gensius, who had posted earlier in the day that he had received his AirTags. I asked about his experience, and he described it as working quite well. Find My detected his AirTags 26 feet away from where, at least when he had direct line of sight. His AirTags were even showing him direction and distance when he was on a different floor from his AirTags. We went back and forth a bit, and suddenly I had one of those forehead-slapping moments. I'm a creature of habit, and I've bought this identical purse three times, and I suddenly had a vague memory of the pocket in the purse being advertised as having radio frequency blocking material around the pocket. I opened the purse, and sure enough, there's a big red leather label on the pocket that very clearly says RFID on it. I moved the AirTag to a different pocket, and suddenly, the AirTags were as good as everyone else says they are. Greetings, fellow Nocilla Castaways. This is Bruce from Tennessee with a review of the Logitech Zone Wireless Plus headset. First, what's the problem to be solved? I've been on distributed teams and doing phone conferences and web meetings for decades, and I've historically used a wired USB headset with a boom mic. I preferred the wired USB to avoid the Bluetooth latency, and the boom mics generally do a better job of getting just my voice and not a lot of the background noise. And the boom mics don't have that scritch, scritch, scritch noise that we get with those microphones that are on headset cords as they rub along people's clothes. A few months ago, after the several months of everything being an online meeting, tripping over my headset cord, I decided I needed a more mobility and I'd try moving to a wireless headset. I tried and returned a couple of Bluetooth headsets that just didn't work for me. Then I saw an article that talked about a flip-to-mute feature with some boom mics. When you flip the boom up away from your mouth, the headset mutes itself and the microphone. This is apparently a thing in the gamer world, which makes a lot of sense. After doing some searching, I found the Logitech Zone wireless headsets as something with good reviews and this feature. 
I chose the Logitech Zone Wireless Plus model, which comes with the USB-A dongle and can also work over Bluetooth. It retails for around 230 US at a range of vendors, and I'm thrilled with this headset. I mostly use mine with the dongle, since that makes it easy to move the headset between computers. I have a work computer and a personal computer at home, and I can simply move the dongle from one computer to another to change which one is using the headset. The flip to mute feature is great. If I need to cough or take a drink, I can quickly flip the mic up and the microphone mutes itself. Pull the microphone back down and it unmutes. For Microsoft Teams and Zoom meetings specifically, flipping the mic up also mutes me in the app and pulling it back down unmutes me in the app. The dongle has a white light when I'm unmuted and a red light when I'm muted. When I'm in meetings with the camera on, pulling that mic down is also a signal to others that I'd like to speak, which has been useful. The flip to mute combined with mobility makes things a lot better on those back-to-back-to-back-to-back meetings days. I can be in a meeting and get up and go to the kitchen to get a refill on my drink. I'll mute the microphone so people don't hear the noise, but I don't have to run back to my computer to unmute when something comes up where I need to answer a question or put in a comment. I've used a USB extension cable to bring that dongle out to just under the front edge of my desk, so the radio signals are pretty well unobstructed, and I can pretty consistently get a good 40 to 50 feet away from my computer with no noticeable degradation in quality. There are also some other features that weren't in my problem-to-be-solved list, but which really have proven beneficial. When I first set up the headset and installed the Logitune software, it immediately wanted to do a firmware update on the headset. It's done one other firmware update over the past three months, and the Logitune software itself has had at least three updates in that time. So things seem to be actively developed, which is a good thing from a security perspective. The headphones have active noise cancellation. They're an on-the-ear style rather than over-the-ear, so it's not great noise cancelling, and I don't think they would do a great job on an airplane, but they knock down the area noise of the other household activities, and I'm quite satisfied with the feature. The Logitune software provides controls for the microphone gain and for sideband. That sideband feature feeds the microphone signal back into what you're hearing, and you can control the percentage. Sideband and clear control of the microphone gain has been wonderful. My wife reports that I'm speaking in a much more normal tone of voice when on a web meeting, and I'm experiencing a lot less vocal fatigue at the end of a day of web meetings. I really do feel like that's helped me to make my speaking much more conversational in these kinds of meetings. The microphone quality is good. I'm using it for making this review, so you can judge for yourself. My colleagues report that I'm usually one of the clearest people on a call, and they report not hearing keyboard noise when I'm typing. If I have a window open on a windy day, they do report some wind noise, but they didn't hear the neighbor's leaf blower or my wife vacuuming. And I've done some testing with voice memos. I can hear typing, 
but it's not obvious. And frankly, I'm not talented enough that I can type much and talk at the same time. So that easy mute and unmute also makes a big difference with not distracting others in a meeting with my keyboard noise. The sound quality is also good, but frankly, my opinion on that subject doesn't matter for much. I've listened to some music on the headsets and it sounds good enough to me, but I'm not an audiophile. The sound quality is definitely good enough for voice calls and listening to recorded webinars. The comfort level is also good for an on-the-ear style. I would generally prefer an over-the-ear for long-term wearing, but I was able to use some Bruce Force and spring the band out a bit, and it's now quite comfortable on my big old head. I've worn it for 10 hours straight and didn't come away with a headache, though it was a bit of a relief to take them off at the end of that very long day. The battery life is good, definitely enough for all day use. I was down to about 30% after that 10 hour run. So the head could set could have lasted longer, even if I was done. Charging is easy. You can charge with a standard micro USB cable, but the headset also supports wireless charging. I simply set my headset down on a key wireless charging pad when not in use, and it starts charging right back up. I really like not having to fuss with a charging cable. The dongle on the Wireless Plus model can theoretically be used to also control a Logitech keyboard and Logitech mouse. I've not tried that, so I can't report on how fiddly that might be. There is also a Zone Wireless, not Plus model, that's about 200 retail, so 30 bucks cheaper than the Plus model. That base model only works with a dongle, and I think that dongle only works with a headset. You can't use it to control a mouse and a keyboard. The headset does fold up somewhat, so it fits better into a knapsack and it comes with a bag. The ear pads don't turn, but the on-the-ear style means that it's not quite as bulky as most over-the-ear headsets. I've not made particular use of the Bluetooth features, but I've made a phone call or two with it, and it seems to be just fine. I really like the simplicity of moving the dongle between devices and to move the headset. It's just way less fiddly and faster than fussing with Bluetooth menus. There's a button on the left ear cup that does play pause if you're listening to music, which would be useful for some people. Overall, I am completely thrilled with this purchase. It's not the most comfortable headset that I've used, but I think it's about as comfortable as an on-ear headset is going to be for me. I'd love to have some headset-mounted controls to change the sound volume to better handle those meetings where one person has a really hot mic and someone else is just barely audible. But that's really the only negative thing I've got to say about the Zone Wireless Plus headset from Logitech. Thanks, and stay subscribed. Well, thanks so much for this, Bruce, especially that stay subscribed part. I got to tell you, that Zone uh, Wireless Plus headset sounds really fantastic. You know, I always cringe when I hear people say they got a headset mic because people tend to not position the mic correctly, so they get a lot of noise from their nose. But you have definitely mastered the placement of the mic. I found most interesting what you said about your wife's observation of how much more naturally you're talking with this mic and how it's less fatiguing for you. And I think you mentioned it when you were talking about being able to monitor your own voice. 
And uh, that is very, very interesting. Uh, I'm also surprised you're able to monitor your voice on a Bluetooth headset because normally that delay is much more than people can stand. Um, I can't do it. I'm monitoring my own voice right now, but I can't do it with Bluetooth. It's just way too too low, uh, too slow. Um, but I think you said that you could set it at about 70%. You could still stand it. So it's just a, a quieter version of yourself. And um that's interesting because I think people often speak really loudly into phones because they can't hear themselves very well. And so that maybe that's part of why you're able to speak naturally. Anyway, that's a, that's really cool. You also mentioned using the Bluetooth dongle to easily switch between devices. That's That sounds great. Sounds so much less fiddly than messing with Bluetooth uh, menus, like you said. You know, I noticed on the Logitech website that this headset comes with both a USB Type-A and Type-C dongle. And that's really good because that means there's no need for a double dongle with USB-C. So if you had a USB-A, but you had a USB-C computer, you'd end up with a double dongle and that would be nasty. Thanks so much for sending this in, and I sure hope you do more reviews, especially with the Logitech Zone Wireless Plus headset. Everything is fiddly. <laughs> well, I have to say, I think I've been going about this everything fiddly thing all wrong. I should have created a segment about what's not fiddly. That would have created unique and unusual stories. With everything is fiddly, there's just too darn much material to work with. Let me just tell you how my week went. Let's start with the name, Everything is Fiddly. I knew when I created the phrase that I'd be typing it really often, so I immediately created a text expander snippet for it. I type EIF semicolon. Ever since I coined the term, I've been getting a lot of use out of what, that text expander snippet. A few months ago, I decided to invest in the app Ulysses after testing it out from within Setapp. Ulysses makes a great blog posting writing app for me because it syncs really well between macOS and iPadOS, and most importantly because it supports TextExpander on iOS. I rely so heavily on TextExpander that I can't stand to work on the podcast without it. With TextExpander support inside Ulysses and syncing between the iPad and Mac, I can finally use the iPad for blogging. But guess what? While I'm trying to write this very Everything is Fiddly article, the text expander snippet for that phrase is not working. Every other snippet I want to expand in Ulysses is working, and that snippet is working on the Mac, but it's not working on the iPad. Now, the only thing worse than not having text expander support is having intermittent text expander support. This has happened before with Ulysses, and the folks there have tried to help me fix it, but you know what? I'm just too exhausted to ask them to help me again. All right, let's stick with Text Expander for a moment longer. This is one of the most rock solid applications I have ever used, and I've been using Text Expander for well over a decade. But recently, it started intermittently failing on my Mac. By failing, I mean I type in an abbreviation and the snippet simply doesn't expand. I have a keyboard shortcut to set up for uh, opening search, and recently that stopped working too. This is a search within text expander I'm talking about. I type command semicolon and the little search window just doesn't come up. When these symptoms occur, I click on the menu bar item and instead of showing me the fancy new view of the app, it's the old menu from the previous version. Smile's trying to help me figure this out, but so far we haven't gotten the problem to stop occurring. As of right now when I'm recording, I've got it, it's even weirder. If I'm in a save as dialog box, text expander won't expand. But if I'm in just like in Mars Edit writing my blog posts, it does expand, and we have no idea why. I love my magic trackpad and keyboard for my Mac. 
except when, for no apparent reason, it gets wonky. The symptoms are super fun. When the trackpad goes wonky, the cursor jumps around unpredictably, making it really hard to select things on screen. It appears to be a Bluetooth interference problem, because if I just plug it in via a lightning cable, the problem goes away. But whenever the trackpad starts going wonky, it takes the keyboard along for the same ride. The keyboard works, but the text on screen comes out really slowly. And the caps lock stops working. I know you probably think that's a good thing, but I learned to type properly from my mother's 1942 typing book, and I will never be convinced the caps lock key doesn't have a place in this world. The only solution for this problem with the keyboard is to plug it into my Mac via lightning. When I pull the cable from the trackpad and I plug it into the keyboard, my typing is snappy and I have my precious caps lock back. But guess what? The trackpad goes wonky again. I know, I could have two lightning cables hanging on my desk, but darn it, I paid for Bluetooth devices and I want zero cables. By the way, this problem just goes away on its own. I don't do anything. I don't change anything on my desk. I don't move anything around. I don't try to search for interference. It just stops being a problem. And then it comes back later. Well, this week I had a new fiddly bit I'd never seen before. In one password, you can set up two-factor authentication. When a website asks for a username and password, one password will autofill the information. And when it asks for the six-digit code, you go back to one password, click on the code, and you get a little pop-up that shows that you've copied the code. It works perfectly. Except this week, when four times in a row I copied the code and one password told me I've copied the code for you, when I passed it and pasted it into the appropriate field on a website, it was a completely different set of text than what I had copied. In one case, I didn't even recognize the text that it pasted. It wasn't anything I had copied recently. I have a clipboard manager, so I was able to go back and look. I had never copied that. I'm not sure this was a one-password problem because I noticed a few other copy-paste problems, but then everything just started to work again. Now, maybe it's just me, but lately, my Macs reboot themselves spontaneously. I have three Macs, and they all do it. It seems to happen when I leave them alone too long. I don't know, they just get bored and they reboot themselves? The other day, I needed to use my M1 Mac Mini to test a theory about a problem on my laptop, and so I swapped my Thunderbolt cables from my MacBook Pro to the Mac Mini, and I logged in. It had been a while since I'd messed around with Mac Mini, so I didn't remember what had been running the last time. So imagine my joy when I saw a pop-up that said, your Mac rebooted because of a problem. Want to send notice of this to Apple, who will absolutely never respond to you about it, and in fact, never even look at it? Please just spend time filling out this little form talking about what you were doing when it was happening. You know what? I was doing nothing. Nothing. I was doing nothing at all. I don't know why you rebooted. After I reported that reboot to Apple, who will never look at it, I tried to use Spotlight to launch some apps. Spotlight returned zero results on the Mac Mini, no matter what I typed. Okay, yeah, I know. It's a Spotlight indexing problem, and all I have to do is open System Preferences, go to Spotlight, put in my entire drive in the exclusion list, close System Preferences, remove the drive, and then wait a while for it to re-index everything. But why should I have to know how to do that by heart? Maybe if it didn't reboot spontaneously, it would remember where my stuff was. I don't want to spend time doing this. I want to use my computer. Well, are there problems on your Mac that you just, I don't know, live with? They've been happening so long, you don't even bother to think about the fact that you're plagued with it over and over again. I think there's about 238 things like that for me. One of the huge ones for me started probably more than a year ago and continues to this day. I like to add titles to my photos in Apple Photos. 
I think I must be the only person on earth who does this because if everyone did it, there would be an uproar about how hard and actually kind of broken it is. In order to add titles, you have to be on the Mac. No idea why they won't let me name my photos on iPadOS, but you know, I've learned to live with that. In macOS Photos, if you select View, Metadata, Titles, you'll see the title field below each image. The default name will be the image name created by your camera, such as, you know, img underscore 3265.heic. To change it to a title, simply type in that little field on top of that image name. Well, <laughs> that stopped working recently. When I type in that field, it starts entering what I'm typing, but then suddenly everything I've typed disappears and the original file name reappears with my cursor at the end of the name. So if I continue typing, it gets added to the file name extension. I spend a lot of time trying to figure out if I type really quickly, will I get the whole thing in before it happens? Or maybe if I type more slowly, it would work. All right, all right, no worries. There's a completely another way to add titles to your photos in Photos. Open the window, uh, the info window by selecting the little I in the upper right of the main window, or you can use the keystroke command I. In that window, you can see the title field and start typing the desired title. But that no longer works consistently either. Halfway through typing a title, the info window loses focus and decides arbitrarily that I have hit the enter key. I know it's hitting the enter key because enter is the keystroke to switch to editing mode on an image. So instead of being able to continue typing my title, I am suddenly faced with options to change brightness and saturation and crop and all that. This happens on both my 2019 MacBook Pro and my M1 Mac Mini. So it's not just one Mac that's afflicted in this way. Now I know I have a huge photos library at over 800 gigabytes, but I can't imagine I'm the only one with this problem. Have I called Apple about it? Nope. That'd be an hour and a half on the phone, the advisor telling me it's not a known issue, and then sending it to engineering who would never reply. Now I did a few more experiments after I wrote that part up, and there's a possibility this is back to that Bluetooth problem with my keyboard. Because I went back and did an experiment where I plugged my keyboard in and I was able to continue typing in that get info window. So I've got to do more experiments on it, but you know, <laughs> come on, I am tired of doing experiments. I really, truly am. But hey, here's another fun, quick one. The other day I was typing away using my external keyboard on my MacBook Pro and suddenly nothing I was typing was coming out on screen. Suspecting this constant Bluetooth nonsense I'm plagued with, I reached over and tried typing on the internal keyboard for the MacBook Pro. And nothing came out of that keyboard either. <laughs> Seriously. I rebooted and I was back in business, but you know what? I want to use my computer. I'm tired of this. Here's a fun one. Google Drive was recently named, uh, renamed Backup and Sync. For me, it crashes eh, about a half dozen times a day. I have completely uninstalled it, including letting Hazel find and remove all of the little P-lists and caches and stuff. I've rebooted and reinstalled. Twice I've done this, and it still crashes. No one on the internet is having this problem if my searching is any indication. I am the only person on earth this is happening to. Well, I rely heavily on a lot of apps from the awesome company Rogue Amoeba. The two absolutely mission-critical ones I use, I use a lot of them, but the mission-critical ones are Loopback and Audio Hijack. Loopback allows me to combine applications and physical microphones into virtual audio input devices. This allows me to pipe both my microphone and my audio recording application, Hindenburg, into the live show so the listeners can hear playback and hear my voice. I use Audio Hijack to sweeten the audio and record interviews for Chit Chat Across the Pond. 
In Audio Hijack, I can literally hijack the audio from any application, such as Skype, and record it on a separate track from my own voice. I've been using this combination of loopback and audio hijack for years and years, and it's awesome and rock solid. This week, Audio Hijack decided not to be able to hijack Skype. At first, I thought it was a bug in the latest version of Skype, but then I did some more experiments. I tested every application I could think of on my Mac to see if Audio Hijack could still hijack its audio. It could hijack uh, QuickTime, Hindenburg, Telegram, Voice Memos, and Amadeus Pro, but it couldn't record any browser-type app. It couldn't hijack audio from Safari, Chrome, Edge, Firefox, and it couldn't hijack any Electron apps such as Discord and Skype. I was just about to send a screenshot of my test results to Rogue Amoeba when I had a crazy idea. I uninstalled my beloved Audio Hijack, including letting Hazel clean up after it, rebooted, reinstalled, and Audio Hijack happily started recording web apps again. I did get notice after I had sent this to the Audio Hijack people, to the Rogue Amoeba people, and they didn't know what was wrong. And after I figured it out, they said, oh, yeah, we did, and we did know that was kind of a problem. We fixed it. So that's awesome. In Audio Hijack, I've also been dealing somewhere between Audio Hijack and Loopback and uh, SoundSource is another application they have. I've been having this problem where my audio gets looped and uh, it, it sort of adds to itself and it's a catastrophic failure. And uh, I've been working with the Rogue Amoeba people for probably two months trying to figure that one out. It doesn't technically uh, belong in this list because it didn't happen in the last week. Everything else I've talked about happened in the last week. Anyway, you might think this is a list of months and months of fiddliness, but like I said, every single thing on this list happened within a few days of each other. Death by a Thousand Paper Cups is my world, my entire world today, and I gotta say, it's wearing on my very last nerve. Maybe I really should start a recording, start recording what does work. I guess I could call it, this one thing right here isn't fiddly, it works every time. Be a short segment, though. If you're feeling a bit strapped for money like so many people are these days, but you'd still like to be able to help out the shows, have you considered leaving a review for the podcasts? For some reason, the main place to leave reviews is the Apple Podcast app. So if you use a third-party podcast app, this is a bit of a big ask, but if you could download it and uh, do a review, that would really help me out. In the Apple Podcast app, if you can find the podcast you'd like to review, scroll down past all of the recent episodes to show the ratings and reviews. Heck, you know what? While you're at it, review all of the PodFeed podcasts while you're there. The NoSilicast has a fair number of reviews, but the other shows are sadly in need of some love. So go in and review Chit Chat Across the Pond, Chit Chat Across the Pond Light. And if you're programming by Stealth Fan, go ahead and, uh, and do a review on that as well. Promotion of the shows is very much appreciated because it brings more friends into the family of NoSilicastaways. Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Security Bits with Bart Bouchotts. Uh, how bad were things this week, Bart? Um, Not too bad, actually, on the whole. I mean, I, I have had to do my usual trick of sandwiching the bad news between good news, but on the whole... <laughs> but not massive meltdown of the universe? Not really, no. Or maybe I was just too distracted about the shiny, shiny coming out of Cupertino, but no, I think it was fine. <laughs> good, good. Um... A little bit of follow-up on stuff that's been running sort of in the background. So uh, Parler is coming back to the iOS App Store. 
Apparently, they have reformed their moderation processes sufficiently. Huh. Mm. I mean, Apple said they would let them back in if they could figure out how to control the environment. So, well, I I guess somehow I think they're on probation. (laughs) But (laughs) we shall see. There would uh, be a magnifying glass on them, that's for sure. Yeah. Now, you joked that if you were Solar Winds, you'd change your name. Well, shock and or horror, Solar Winds just announced they have a new name. They're now called Enable. <laughs> that's good. That's yeah. good. I do. I don't, uh, don't blame them one bit. Yeah. N-Able, huh? N-Able. I'm kind of surprised that pun wasn't gone as a name, but hey, apparently not. So off they go. Um, digging then, and next up is action alerts. Um, so Apple have released security updates for pretty much everything. Um, if you really want to see literally everything on the list, you'll, there's a link to the US certs list of all the updates, but it's pretty darn much everything. Like iCloud for Windows is in there. It's, it's, it's everything. Hmm. Um, but there are definitely some more notable things in the mix here. Uh, Like our long-awaited friend iOS 14.5, finally bringing along two notable features from this segment's point of view. Um, From a security point of view, there is finally the unlock your phone with your watch while you're wearing a mask feature. That uh, I know a lot of people... delightful. Yeah, a lot of people were running that beta for an awfully long time for the simple convenience of going shopping during a pandemic. Um, yeah have you played with it yet uh, no because it came out the day after my weekly single excursion to the shops oh okay (laughs) so so it'll have to wait till next week i've used it on my walks because i still wear a mask on my walk if i'm near anybody and i find that i have gotten a chance to play with it and it uh it certainly does work it's it's kind of freaky to have your watch just kind of tap you going all right i'll take care of that for you yeah, it's it's actually very cleverly thought out because the first thing you have on the watch is the ability to say no, it was no, I didn't mean you to, and then it immediately like catunks the phone, like locks it proper down as as if you've done that click on both buttons five times thing where it goes into full lock yeah. and you have to give your passcode. And if somebody runs away with your phone, like if somebody made you do it, as soon as they get a certain distance from your phone, it locks again. Yeah, uh, for, for distance from your watch, I should say. Yeah, so it's they've they've really they've really thought it through, which is a theme of a lot of stuff today. To be honest, uh, in terms of Apple, really thinking stuff through. But more on that later. Uh, so that's definitely one of the big features, uh, which I was certainly waiting on. You were waiting on half the planet. Well, everyone who has an Apple Watch and an iPhone was waiting on. I guess less less so the other people who are still cranky at Face ID, but don't have an iPhone, uh, an, an Apple Watch. They get no joy. I wonder if this will sell some more Apple Watches. They're selling all right anyway, but it might—it just might be enough to push someone over the edge, right? If you're like, I should really do that whole health thing. Oh, good. It'll make it life easier in a pandemic. I'll do it now. Hey, I was listening to the Mac and Forth guys, and I don't know their voices yet, but one of them said, yeah, I think I better upgrade my Apple Watch Series 2 because I oh. want to be able to do this. <laughs> wow. Series 2. That's quaint. Um... The other big one then is, of course, app tracking transparency has gone from the hypothetical to the real. Um, I've got a lot of questions on this. Um, okay. And I know there's a problem with app tracking transparency with the switch, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But I haven't gotten any of my devices to ask me to uh, allow app tracking, uh, uh, any kind of tracking at all on, on my um, either my iPads or my uh, phone. And I definitely have switched on, you know, allow them to ask me. And I haven't gotten it on any of them, but our Apple TVs keep having it. 
That's interesting. I, I wanted it to ask me so that I could say no. I don't want it automatically blocking. I want to actively go, no, no, no. I have it on at the moment to, to get it to ask me. And just because I'm curious as to who I'm cranky at. And as I suspected, weather apps, which are notorious abusers of privacy because they have a legitimate need for your location data. Yeah. So they are prime, prime targets for the, the advertising industry to hoover up. And yeah, oh. lo and behold, my favorite weather apps are all on the list. But now I just got to say no, no. Oh, I've got to I've got to try some weather apps. I do know. I mean, I was most looking forward to Facebook, but Facebook is doing a slow roll on the version that obeys the app tracking transparency. Uh, to be so honest, it's not going out to everybody at once. And that is that is it that and that's not just Facebook doing that, right? The, 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 these things tend to all be slow rolls because just the scale of everything to do with the App Store. Oh, come on. Apple sends out a, its OS all on the same day. They can do their But they don't tell us. So you're forever saying I haven't got that update yet. No, and every time I look it's there and I just didn't notice it. It's just me not being, me not obsessively looking for it. I just don't notice is what usually has happened. Well, I know for a fact that developers get to choose the rate at which their apps roll out. So if you have your iPhone set to automatically update apps, the developer actually has a bit of control as to how quickly their app rolls out. So a lot of developers will do that because if there is a nasty bug, they'd prefer to have it trickle out slowly and then get a few support calls and then hit the stop button than just to have it all all blurt out at once and then have 20 kabillion calls. So these things okay. are never quite so binary. So, you know, we have years and years and years of saying no to apps ahead of us. It'll come. I just tried carrot weather and it didn't ask me. I'm so disappointed. <laughs> Honestly, Alison, a little bit of patience that you're going to start getting them. It, it, it is a rolling out feature. You, we have years and years of this ahead of us. Oh, goody. All right. Well, I hope it starts happening soon. Yeah, well, it is starting, right? I mean, I, I've had well, three. Press the button. I've had three. I, I, so oh, far, okay. I've had three. Um, Zero. There was also a, a small amount of kerfuffles, too strong a word. People were like, yeah, but my Switch is grayed out. Yeah, it's quite straightforward. If you have a kid's account, your parents get to decide whether you get to be tracked or not. If you are in a managed Apple ID in education or business, your your school or university or company get to decide. And if you have a brand new Apple ID, apparently it takes three days until your Apple ID is fully set up so that you can toggle that switch. That I don't understand. So I heard on another show that there actually is a bug that some people cannot change it, and it's not because of any of those reasons. I've heard it on two different shows, that there's something going on, and Apple has acknowledged the problem. Oh, interesting. What I have heard is people were confused, and Apple released a support document saying, no, 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 these are the three cases where it's supposed to happen. Okay. Maybe we're two both correct. Two different shows, I, yeah. Oh, I, I don't disagree that this is probably probably true, especially if Apple said so. Um, but I do believe there's also something going wrong where people can't toggle that switch to allow uh, people to ask to, to companies to ask to track because that's not giving you choice. If that fun if that functionality doesn't work, then you haven't been given choice, and their whole point is you should have choice, not you should have it off. Right, exactly. The whole. Well, I'll see the, if I can find any documentation on this. If it's a bug, it'll sort itself out. Um, yeah, and and the, the the three exceptions Apple have on their support document are pretty darn obvious to me. Like that's what parenting is; it's making decisions for your kids. And a managed Apple ID, well, it's in the name. The you know the the, the less than three day old Apple ID, I don't quite understand. But I'm guess, given how weird Apple IDs are, I'm sure it's something to do with a system running 
some sort of ancient Apple product. Was it web objects or something that the App Store still runs on from 1980-something? <laughs> God only knows what's at the back end of Apple IDs. Um, in a related note, yet again, I believe this is the second Security Bits in a row where I'm linking to a Wall Street Journal video, which is not behind a paywall, by the wonderful Joanna Stern. Uh, this time she explains app tracking transparency, including an extremely fun interview with uh, Craig Federighi. He really got into the spirit of things and it's it's genuinely fun and I just really enjoyed it. So that's uh, linked in the show notes. Oh, cool. I'll have to go check that out. I love her. Yeah. I, I always did like her whenever I would hear her on other people's podcasts, but these videos, they're, they're just, they're informative, accurate and fun. And they're you know, not really the words I associate with WSJ, but hey, great, they hired her, so obviously I'm wrong. Is- oh yeah, she she's been doing a lot of fun stuff on there, but uh, not willing to pay for it. Yeah, well, neither am I, so that's why I'm really happy these videos are behind the paywall. It's uh, two for two now. Uh, just to say, I do pay for quality journalism on uh, on two other newspapers, but it's just stinking expensive to get the Wall Street Journal. I don't. Yeah. I don't think they expect anybody to pay themselves. They all. They expect your company to pay for it for you. Yeah. Well, there's. Uh, well, I, I'm happy to say it, actually. I I pay for the New York Times because they have special pricing available for people who work for education, and I am happy to pay them three euro a month. I am not happy to pay them the actual price they charge everyone else. <laughs> Right, right. By the way, I just double-checked for what I was saying about uh, app tracking transparency, people having the switch grayed out, and both Lifehacker and uh, 9to5Mac have articles that reference what Apple says the three reasons are, and it's people who don't have those three reasons are still having that problem. Okay, well, I'm sure it'll iron itself out. Or rather, Apple will. Some Apple engineer somewhere is going, oh, sugar, I should have put a semicolon there. I'll put a link to the Lifehacker article in there because it actually has some suggestions on ways to, to tickle it to get it to, uh, to fix it. Excellent. If you, yes. Excellent. Do you like it when you improve my show notes? Makes it better. Um, and then just, I think we knew this already, but Apple sort of made it clear again. You are not allowed in your pop-up to um, app tracking transparency to basically bribe people into clicking yes and you are absolutely positively not allowed to disable features in your app based on people saying no it has to be a free choice whether or not you get tracked you cannot be pushed into it which is now it's it's uh it's the honor system on whether they actually do that but Hopefully, well, I mean they don't that, want to that's be out of the app store. Because that's how it is with app store rules in general, right? It's yeah, you know, honor system, review system. Yeah, it's interesting choice of words. Um, also, while you're updating stuff, you probably want to do macOS eleven point three as well because uh, they patched a bug in Gatekeeper that Patrick Wardle uh, discovered. That's not the kind of thing you want not working your gatekeeper. So patchy, patchy, patch, patch on that one. That was a big download. That was 5.6 gigabytes. Yeah, and feature-wise, it doesn't feel like it was all that major, right? But obviously, the owner of the hood plumbing, there was a lot going on. Yeah, it must have been. I tried to do it right before you and I recorded yesterday, and I looked and said, I've got 100 megabits per second uh, fiber, and it said it would be... 35 minutes to download it. It was like, what? I I guess Apple servers must have been a bit slower pushing it out than your internet. Yeah, maybe. 
Uh, meanwhile, if you're an NVIDIA user, patchy, patchy, patch, patch on your GPU driver because it has some nasty kernel-level bugs, which, of course, is where drivers live. So, yeah, definitely want to patch that. I don't think we've ever had a GPU card uh, driver update in Security Bits before. Uh, once or twice. but it's Maybe. Not often. Not often. <laughs> That's from the Worthy Warnings Department, um, I am sorry to say we get we start off here on some bad... Well, actually, this whole segment is bad news. It's called Worthy Warnings. There's nothing in here that's happy, shiny. <laughs> I warn you to be happy. No. So the section's bad news. But the first one is bad news for us Mac or Apple users. Um, security researchers in the Technical University of Darmstadt in Germany have issued a warning about significant data leakage from Apple's AirDrop when you put it in the contacts-only mode, which is that sort of a halfway house mode. So you have off, which is obviously off, and you have on, which is anyone can AirDrop stuff to you, and unfortunately the universe is full of annoying people who think it's hilarious to AirDrop pornography at random people on the train. Uh, so a lot of people keep it in that middle mode, which is only people in your address book are allowed to send you stuff on AirDrop. And as you might guess, there is an inherent possibility of problems because your phone has to somehow communicate what's in your address book without communicating what's in your address book. And the proper way to do that is with good cryptographic hashing over a well-secured HTTPS connection. And unfortunately, probably because this code has just been languishing for far too long since anyone bothered looking at it, um, Apple are hashing but not salting. And Apple's HTTPS is doing exactly what they don't allow anyone on the App Store to do. And they are allowing self-signed certs, not insisting on properly cryptographically signed certs. So therefore, these security researchers were able to break into the SSL connection trivially easily, and once in the SSL connection, they were able to break all the hashes easily because they weren't salted, thereby allowing access to email addresses and phone numbers, which is precisely what you're not so supposed I, to So I see that this is bad and Apple should fix it, yeah. but it doesn't make me think that the, the world is coming to an end. I mean, this doesn't sound horrible because this is somebody standing right next to you. It right? is limited, yes. Breaking gr breaking a cryptographic hash, even if it's a poor one, is not something that, it, it, like, I picture being on the subway and somebody, well, when we'd go on subways again, um, you know, trying to break the cryptographic hash on your phone. Yeah, but they don't have that to do it there and then, right? They can, they, they can grab it and get it later. And the other How thing- grab it? How well, do they grab it, Bert? You just save it, right? It's it's bits. What? How do they get it? They have to be near you, right? So you're right that the proximity is needed to catch the information, but they don't have to crack it there and then. Is they this broadcast and you can ca catch it? Yes, absolutely. I mean, your okay. phone is talk. Your phones are talking to each other to negotiate whether or not you can airdrop. So okay. So what is in there? Is my entire address book in there? Pretty much, yeah. Hashes of. Okay. Hashes of all of your contacts, because they're trying to decide. Uh, actually, no. Okay. No, no. Sorry, let me back myself up. No, it's it's better or worse. Mm. It's not your address book. It's you. So yeah, that's, that's kind of what I thought. So it's not, you know, 6,000 email addresses and phone numbers and contact information. It's one. Well, it's your phone. It's all no. It's all no. It's all of the IDs you use. For, you have mapped to your Apple ID, which in my case is like yeah. five email addresses and a, and a phone number. 
Okay, so that would be one and uh, maybe two for me. But okay, so it's my phone number. That's all it is. Yeah, but it's exactly like my phone number and my addresses. So it's my stuff that's been broadcast out. Right, but I'm just saying this is not a huge deal, Bart. I don't think I set it up as a huge deal. No, I, I don't think you did either. But that's what I'm just saying. I'm I'm finding it really hard to lose sleep over this one because you have to be standing right next to someone who wants to do this to you and then they're going to get your phone number and email address and what's the worst thing they can do to me with that well phishing and all the usual stuff we get from all of our other yeah. data breaches to right. be honest what worries me more about this is that this is just so trivially this is just first grade stuff like what do you mean you have a hash you haven't solved it what do you mean you have https connections you're not validating the certificates you're supposed to be apple you're supposed to be good at this this is so yeah, it's amateur definitely hour. poor practice like, but it's is... not a giant vulnerability like it's i mean this was on the on the evening news like it was the sky was falling yeah there would be it had the word apple <laughs> yeah, to, to be fair, on the evening news was also everything that was announced during the uh, the spring loaded event. And then uh, they had uh, like two or three nights in a row. They had all this stuff about Apple it was like, how do they get these com- the, the news to cover this? It's amazing. Quite, that, that, that is quite strange, actually. Yeah, because it, it's not on the same scale at all. Like when there was that bug in FaceTime where they disabled FaceTime for a couple of weeks. That that was worthy of being on the evening news. Sure, sure. This is this is so one. not that. This is so not that. Um, yeah, just you know, dear Apple, season your hatches with a bit of salt, please, and just stop accepting self signed certificates. That that's an easy one. Anyway, um, Brian Krebs is also warning that yet again. The credit agencies in the U.S. just don't seem all that interested in securing the spectacularly sensitive data they're charged with holding. So Experience API was just exposing pretty much every American's credit score. Just, just By the way, they're not, they're not charged with holding, Bart. They just went and got it. That, mm. Remember that, uh, that article from What's Your Favorite Podcast that always teaches the really cool stuff? Uh, shoot, you and Dorothy listened to it. Oh, uh, Planet Money. Planet Money. They explained that how Experian and these other companies came to be. They simply decided they would start tracking this information. They were never charged with this. We all, I don't know about anybody else, but I thought this was some government sanctioned, you are the people in charge of this information. They just chose to start carrying it. It's more than the industry, right? They're sort of the, the the banking industry's pretty poor self-solution to the problem. The banks used to have to yeah. keep their own, and they just went, why don't we just get someone to do it centrally? And that's where these guys came from. But yeah, it's entirely the private sector looking after itself. And Yeah. These so credit scores. Yeah. I'm not sure what that does to hurt you, but it they shouldn't have. I, I don't think credit scores are the kind of thing you want out there, because that, that I don't think that helps you, having your credit score be available to people who Public. shouldn't have it. Yeah. You'd be embarrassed by it, I suppose. You I quite know, easily quite could. Like, it could harm you in job interviews and stuff. Yeah. And th- that's yeah. the other it's industry. It's the worst thing to have shown, but still, wouldn't want it. There is a whole industry where companies can buy basically privately accessed sort of research on potential job applicants. And that's the kind of information that would then be hoovered up by those services. And then you end up basically going into a job interview with a massive upwind struggle because the companies have bought 
intelligence from these. Anyway, yeah, there's a whole lot of ick out there. But as I say, I don't like this section. So moving on. Yeah, this is, so this is a worthy warning we can't do a darn thing about. That's oh, darn. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Notable news. Yeah, okay, this isn't, I don't, sorry, these don't start happy. Um, yeah, this is that too. This is the opposite of starting happy. Um, we have talked a lot about Dan Kaminsky. He he was he is famous and not infamous, but famous for his spectacularly mature handling of one of the most serious bugs we've ever covered in the history of this segment, which is the as I have always called it, the Dan Kaminsky DMS DNS bug. And he coordinated with pretty much every major vendor from Linux to Microsoft. And they managed to, in a coordinated fashion, keep it secret until everyone had a chance to get stuff patched, release a very, very important change to the domain name system, which is really one of the fundamental foundations of the internet. Like finding a bug in a foundation of the internet and managing to get it patched with like all of these private companies coordinating all of that and managing to do it without anyone leaking it and without, you know, all hell breaking loose. That is spectacular. And that was like 10 years ago. Well, Dan Kaminsky was 42 when he passed away. That means that he managed to do that, like, in his late 20s or 30s. Or wow. early 30s. I mean, I always had a lot of respect yeah, So the news him. is that he passed away, by the way. Yeah, I've got to say that. Skipped over I? that part. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, he's, yeah. He, he spent his life battling type 1 diabetes, which is the type you're sort of born with. Um, and he, yeah, he's sort of at age 42, which is far, far, far too young. He, That's a shame. It, it is genuine shame. Um, a very nice tribute to him on um, the Leo Laporte uh, security now um, from, oh. yeah, from That's Steve good. Gibson. Um, yeah, just, yeah. I mean, it's a name we talk, I've said so many times in this show, I just thought we definitely should mention it. Um, still keeping to the not happy news segment, um, Dutch politicians were tricked by a sophisticated deepfake. They had a video conferencing call with someone pretending to be Alexei Navalny's chief of staff, and they believed they were talking to Alexei Navalny's chief of staff. Now, no one has officially come out and said it was Russia trying to do some serious um, messing about with one of their biggest critics. But uh, words being bandied about are state actor. uh, And apparently it wasn't only the Dutch government who were targeted and it wasn't only Dutch politicians who ended up having conference calls with fake fake Leonid Volkov. So this... So who did this? We don't officially know, but I know who my money's on. My moment is Ooh. in the KGB. Ah. Uh, but I don't okay. know if we'll ever know that officially. Right, right. But it's it's interesting that we've gone from hypothetical to, oh. I don't like it when dark mirror episodes become news. <laughs> Black mirror. That's yeah. the one, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, now we can move on to good news. So... Oh, yeah. The first thing I just, so I, I mentioned earlier that Apple thinking things through is a theme for this week. And with the launch of their AirTag trackers, thinking things through is absolutely one of the things I'm just so impressed with Apple for here. Because a tracker is potentially dangerous thing, 
right? It could be horribly abused. There is, it is a true fact that there are stalkers in this world, that there are abusive spouses in this world. There are all sorts of horrible, horrible people out there. And a small, cheap, easy-to-get tracking device has the potential to be as abused as it is spectacularly useful. But you might be able to do that with the tile. You're not going to do that with an AirTag because Apple have built into this thing a lot of very clever intelligence. This is not this is not an anti-theft device. This is a, a an anti-loss device and a device to help you find things. And that changes things around a lot because your AirTag doesn't try to be sneaky and quiet. If an AirTag is following you that is not yours, after three days, I think it's three days, maybe I'm misremembering how many hours, after a, a threshold, it will proactively make a noise to announce its presence every time it physically moves. It's kind of interesting that it takes three days. Which is apparently programmable. So Apple are trying to find the sweet spot between false alarms and I need I need to alert you that there's something dangerous going on. And I, I would imagine over time that may get tweaked a bit as we find out where that sweet spot is. I would is. think it'd be an hour or 20 minutes or five. But how I, can, no, I, I know, because otherwise every person on every train is going to end up get, with stuff beeping and bonging and pretending there's a crisis all the time. It, 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 True. It really, really can't be... Okay, so one hour. I, I, I'm sorry, the, the Ireland is... Even Ireland, a tiny country, that's, that's, that wouldn't work at all because it's, it's three hours by train from Dublin to Galway. I should be able to take a train without everything going mad and telling me I'm being stalked. So, I mean, it, it, it's not an easy Okay, but that, that's putting that above the security of being stalked by someone who's trying to hurt you. And, if, and I would put that ahead of being annoyed on a train, but it's on not just that be, particular train ride. But it's not just being annoyed. It, it, if they're going off all the time, then no one's going to pay a blind bit of attention to it. So it doesn't really help very much. The batteries are all going to run out in them straight away because they're spending all their time buzzing and bonging and beeping. And instead of solving real world problems, Apple have just made the whole world a noisy, annoying place. Like They, they do need to be a As little a bit As a woman, careful. I would choose the other one. I would choose that, Bart. I, yeah, I could not disagree more. Perspective I think it's really that. important for this product to to go. Anyway, the the point is, I thought about it very well. The other thing is, if you if it does that, and you scan it with any device that does NFC, not just an iPhone, like an Android, doesn't matter. It has a built-in URL that will take you to a page that tells you how to disable an AirTag, how to take its battery out, so that it absolutely positively cannot track you anymore. Which is fantastic. So one of the um, there are people who are up in arms that this is poorly done, and one of the complaints was kind of interesting. It's if you have an Android phone, you would never know that this device was in your backpack. But that's it why it makes a noise, buzzing and beeping you. That's why the, that's why the device itself makes a noise. It's not relying on the phone. You're not getting phone notifications. Okay, if you have an iPhone, you also get phone notifications, but the actual tag itself makes its presence felt by it making a noise. After three days of it being what? Of it being in your presence. It has to be. It's in my presence if I've got an Android phone. It doesn't know that. Sorry, being away from its owner. I want to do some more reading because it didn't sound like that's the way it worked. That it had to be that it was traveling with you who had an iPhone who would recognize, oh, what is this thing that's been traveling with me? 
that is one of the things it does, but it's also if you don't have it, if it isn't with its owner, if it doesn't get to see you regularly, it assumes it is wayward. So that's why it's useless for sticking on your grandmother to track her or whatever. It's it, it sort of it needs to meet you relatively regularly. So I see what you're saying. Yeah, I got I got I'm gonna have to. I don't even know if it's possible to do these experiments without me moving out of my house with Steve. We each have a set of air tags, and to try to try to do experiments, I'm not sure we could. Well, I mean, they we are designed that you shouldn't be able to trick them very easily, right? They're in theory they right. should just work, and you should have. A no, I don't want to trick them. I want it to exhibit this safe behavior that it's supposed to do. But I'd have to like air tags with maybe I'll take one and I'll take it to my buddy Ron's house for three days. I'll just leave one at his house and see what happens. Yeah, or yeah, or, or with your kids or something. Yeah, I, I, I think that is the way to do it, right? Obviously, with someone who you trust enough that they're not going to call the police. Um, <laughs> but it's also why you can't really do things like put it in your car, because if you in these pandemic times don't go near your car for a couple of days, then the thing's going to start going. Oh, I mean, I, I something's gone wrong. I haven't seen my owner. They're like a pet that that gets cranky when it doesn't see you. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I mean, I think in normal times, uh, at least in the United States, at least in Los Angeles, people even now don't leave their cars for three days. There are a lot of places in the world where that's not true, but I where I live, my driveway would be one of them. <laughs> yeah, well, but then it wouldn't be beeping and stuff because it'd be in your driveway. It'd be near you. Uh, but would it? Uh, our house is like a bloody Faraday cage. So actually, you know, well, no, because it's going to decide based on the GPS that it's at it's at a significant location, which is my home. So I guess that's probably a bad example. Yeah, which so, but I, it could be spectacular for finding your car at Disneyland. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Or on a Tuesday in the parking structure, you park in at work every single day and just can't remember on Tuesday where because you parked. <laughs> all you the parked floors in a look place exactly was. the same. They don't even change the paint job. You know, I, I think someone should tell. Well, where, I, where I worked, it was a double helix, too. So there was the Ooh. odd numbered floors and the even numbered floors. And you could see through to the other, the odd from the even, but you couldn't get there. Uh-huh. So you'd end up spiraling all the way to the top and then turning around, coming back down on the odd side when you'd gone up on the even. It was, yeah, it was Oh my God, that's, that's so frustrating. You could see your, like, if you had like a bright pink car, you're like, there it is. And I'm, oh, that, get that, there. That so nuts. Yeah, yeah. someone should just tell all these people to paint every floor a different ludicrous color. You know, where are we parked today? We're on magenta. Okay. Yeah, well, that's where Disneyland does well. It's like, I'm in Goofy today. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, I'd never forget my car yeah. if there's a... Yeah, that's, there you go. I just take a picture of my car when I park it somewhere. That's a, that's all I do. And, and so I get some sort of, fr- and I give it a frame of reference, not of what it looks like leaving the car, but what it would look like when you came up on the car. Yes. yes. Somebody taught me that for big malls. Uh, when you walk into a mall, a yeah. giant mall, turn around and look at the exit that you just came in. Because that's the view you're going to need when you go back and go, okay, sporting goods is on the left and women's handbags is on the right. That's the right exit. That's I've a, used that. That's a really good point. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm going to remember that. Um, there is a link in the show notes to a Fast Company article that does a good job of explaining the various technology Apple have put into this thing to help it not become evil. So if you're interested in reading more, I guess, link in show notes. Cool. And Apple have a support page on what to do if you do find an AirTag. Um, 
And there's a link from iMore for what to do if you lose your AirTag, because the other way, you're, the, the other obvious point here is that they are designed to help you when you lose things. So, okay, I have an AirTag on my laptop bag. My laptop bag has gone AWOL. What do I do? Well, you can enable lost mode. You can put in a custom message. And that way, when someone scans the AirTag with their Android or iOS phone, doesn't matter what kind of phone, you it can put up a message of your choosing. Like, uh, if found, please return to a very sad Bart. He's at, you know, insert phone number here. Um, so it's important to know how to do that too, because that's the AirTag doing what it's supposed to do. Uh, and by the way, I don't have an AirTag to play with because I spent so long trying to decide what I wanted engraved on it that when I hit order, it said, coming to you mid-June. Oh, how frustrating. Oh, it's even I, I worse. Get... After all that pondering about it, you know what I went with? Hmm. BB. Poop? BB? <laughs> so I have no That's AirTags so until mid-June and all they say is BB. Yeah, there we go. So I got lucky that I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I saved all the stuff I wanted to buy in favorites, so that as soon as the um, as soon as the store opened, I could go right to favorites, go boom, boom, buy, and I'm good to go. And I had saved my uh, configuration of what I wanted as all the uh, emoji on it, and it turns out that doesn't get saved in your favorites. Oh. So when I bought it, it didn't do anything. So mine are mine are all blank. But luckily, I asked Troy Shimkus if he could use his cricket to make me little podfeet stickers to put on them. And he's he's working on his design right now. Oh, that's <laughs> clever. Yeah, why not stick something yeah. to them? Yeah. Instead of having yeah. them engraved. Hmm. That's interesting. Yes. In other good news stories, Firefox 88 has come out and they have closed another loophole they have been finding advertisers using to track people without proper permissions. Yet another little obscure part of the web's history that no one had really been thinking about, uh, the window.name JavaScript variable. Uh, But the tracking industry had found that it wasn't being purged by the same origin policy, so you could use it to pass messages between websites. Well, Mm. the Firefox engineers saw this being done. They updated Firefox, and the good news is the other major browser vendors either have copied or are copying them, so this is another avenue for tracking that is being slammed shut. So thank you, Firefox. Is window.name no longer functional then? It it now obeys the same origin policy. So within a website... So I just tried it on three different browsers and it came up with double quotes with nothing in it. Right, because... Okay, so window.name is how you as a developer would create a pop-up that you give a name that you would then use to push new content to that pop-up. So... Oh, okay. It's not It's not like um, window.search. Or it, it's not inherent in the, the already there. Well, it, well, it, it defaults be- to an empty string. So what you're seeing is an empty okay. string. But you as a developer can set window.name. And what happened before Firefox 88 was that that window retained that name. So you could set it on website one, redirect the content of the pop-up to website two, and website two could read it. You have now passed. Okay. But now what Firefox does is it checks whether the URL is of the same origin. So as long as you're staying within okay. your domain, as long as you're staying within your website, you can continue to use window.name for its legitimate purpose. Uh, but as soon as you cross origins, it gets blanked back to empty string. Ah, I'm glad I asked about that. That's very cool. Yeah, very cool. Nice. Uh, excellent uh, whack-a-mole, but 
Yeah. Very technical, but you actually would love the write-up uh, from Naked Security. It's a really well-done write-up of how it actually works. And since you're now a JavaScript-y person, I think you actually will really enjoy that. Nice. Also, I think, a positive story. Uh, a bunch of major tech and security firms, including people you may have heard of, like Amazon, Cisco, FireEye, McAfee, and Microsoft are working to try and get an international task force together to disrupt ransomware operations, basically trying to hit them at the organizational level, right? To actually have a successful ransomware operation, you need to take payments. You have all this infrastructure you need to build up to, oh. to successfully be a cybercrime group. So they want to okay. sort of, they want to go after the infrastructure powering the money-making and thereby that should really curtail this horrible activity because if you can't make money on it yeah not all that interesting with cyber criminals that's that's really interesting to see those people working together that's cool it is I like cool. that one yeah exactly uh moving on then to interesting insights um the verge tell the story of uh, a chap called costa elf oh i should have pre-mentally pre pronounced that one lf <laughs> Costa. <laughs> yeah, a guy named Costa. A guy named Costa is a developer, and he was getting cranky with the fact that there were these scam subscriptions in the iOS app store. They're the kind of apps that they have a subscription that might give you like, you know, a three-day free trial, and then they jump to a ridiculous amount of money, like $100 a week or something, and they sort of hope that they'll get away with getting your money for a while until you notice. And he sort of wondered... Like, these are obviously slipping through the net, right? That is not permitted on the App Store rule. So they're obviously sneaking through, or they're obviously getting through review unnoticed. So how hard would they be to find? And he was horrified to find that with a very, very simple algorithm, find the top grossing apps and just start reading. You can find them really easily. These are just low-hanging fruit. And he's trying to make all the noise he can to get Apple to just do what he does and just spend like an hour and you'll find loads of these. And so it's wow. really good that someone with as much clout as The Verge has taken up the story because The Verge basically went, well, if this is supposed to be easy, let's have a go. And so they do, and it is. So hopefully this wow. spurs Apple into action and the next story in the next installment will be giant purge of App Store as Apple boot out lots of icky, icky scammer apps. So fingers crossed on that one. Wait, so they, they are booting a bunch out? No, no, the, the, no, that shoe hasn't dropped. I'm saying hopefully the oh, results are... Oh, that's what are, you're waiting to see. That's what I'm okay. waiting to see. That's what I'm waiting to see. Yeah, I, I've just scanned the article that you uh, post a link to, and Apple does not post what their top grossing uh, apps are anymore, but there are companies who do post that. I'm not sure how they get that. Sensor Tower, I know, is a place that does it. I think they work with networks of developers, so the developers basically... Tell them, I think, is how that works. Well, but that would be weird. If you were a scammer, would you tell them? That's kind of interesting. Uh, yeah, it says Sensor Tower has publicly shares that data. But in, in any case, you know Apple has that data, too. Right, yeah. How hard would it be to go through the top, you know, 50 most grossing and see if they're doing anything nefarious? Or another approach. I mean, the chances are people must get cranky when this happens. The top most complained about apps. The apps with the most <laughs> refund requests. Seems like another obvious one. 
Yeah, exactly. That doesn't. This doesn't. A, a lot of it, I give give them slack of like the total volume yeah. of it. You know, the the size the scale of a problem. But this seems like there's mathematical ways to go about finding those and getting rid of them. That yeah, doesn't exactly. seem like that should be that hard. So hopefully this the, this public shaming does its thing and Apple start, you know, throw a few algorithms out at a few human beings to check up on the algorithms and anyway. Yeah, so fingers crossed. Um security researcher extraordinaire Moxie Merlin Spike, um the author of a protocol you may have heard of called the Signal Protocol, which powers Signal, WhatsApp, and Facebook Messenger, among many other things. Um he has written an absolutely I think it's a wonderful blog post, and I want to give a tip of the hat to listener George from Tulsa for sending it my way. It's it's just written in such a fun way, and it's technically very technical, but it's written in very human language. Um, but uh, he got his hands on one of these devices from the grey hat company Celebrite, and he wondered whether they did any proper security on their own devices, and the short answer is no. Their devices are spectacularly insecure, so insecure that really, if you, I don't think these can be held up in court anymore, because all you need is one expert witness to testify how trivially easy it is to booby trap them into giving wrong information in their data exports. You can put a file on an iPhone, have a Celebrite device scan the iPhone, and it will corrupt completely the report on your device, and we're still... All other reports stored on the Celebrite device. That's so, just so lovely. <laughs> it is wonderful, isn't it? And also, yeah. they appear to have stolen some of Apple's intellectual property to boot. So they may oh, have. Oh yeah, they may have a court case that's... coming too. So that's that's kind of nice. Uh, and as I say, I just love like Moxie Marlon Spike is an absolute treasure in the security community because he's extremely good at his job and can communicate clearly. And this blog post is just such a pleasure to read. I, I just thoroughly enjoyed it. So Nice, nice. That's practically a palate cleanser there, Bert. It almost is, to be honest, but I have an actual palate cleanser too, um, which is, I think you'll love this one, Alison. Um, it is one of the best illustrated guides I have ever seen to the marvel that is the four-stroke internal combustion engine. Oh, cool. Now, I sort of foolishly thought I fully understood the internal combustion engine. I mean, it sucks, squeeze, bang, blow. How hard can it be? Four strokes, right? <laughs> yeah, but it an actual working engine is quite a bit more complicated than that because the valves need to be controlled so that you suck, squeeze, bang, blow at the right time. And the beauty of the internal combustion engine is that it's all sort of connected together so that the crankshaft controls the valves, which are actually controlling the inlet valves, which are powering the crankshaft, which is controlling the valves. It's this wonderful system that's self-regulating. It's When you actually break it down, it's, it's beautiful. And this thing is completely illustrated with um, animations that you can, a lot of them you can actually pick up and spin around in three-dimensional space, which is darn cool and some of them you control with scroll bars so you can watch every part of the process it's just superbly done and it starts from so you could take a cannon and fire it at a crank and that gets you halfway to an engine and takes you all the way to a fully working engine with seals and pistons and timing rods and timing belts and the actual things that make an actual engine work 
it's uh, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it this afternoon. I probably should have been doing something else while I was reading it, but hey, that's that's kind of how these. I'm looking work. at it right now. Yeah, it's really fun. Every every like three sentences, you get something to play with, mm. and it's in color and it and it animates well. You can you can drive it yourself. There's one thing I don't like about it though, Bart. When oh. they show the the piston going down on the uh, on the rotating arm down below, they the animation stops with it straight in line and straight in line is, is a, a discontinuity point where it can never recover if it stops there yeah. because you have no motion that can cause it to continue to rotate because you're at that inflection point. So they, they should have had it go just a little bit past or yeah. all the way around. They One do the other, actually later, stopping later, it there later is upsetting. on, they graph um, the, the amount of torque at each point in the strokes. And then they mm. explain the, the effect adding a flywheel has. And so you see the graph before the flywheel is very bouncy and then just the act of adding the flywheel adds momentum and inertia which actually really smooths out the power curve yeah if you've got that if you've got that inertia you're okay because it's going to go past that point yeah uh but without the flywheel your engine could get in this bizarre situation where if it stops with the piston exactly straight that's it you you, you're right it's a yeah discontinuity is exactly I forget the what the name it. of it is there's it's not discontinuity there's a better name for what it is when when the uh, when the joint is lined straight up you can't get out of that wow this is long i didn't realize it was that long yeah huh. no, i mean like i say i went into but it but not thinking, a lot of reading yeah yeah Such lots of squeeze, bang blow blah 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 but as i read more i was like oh i didn't really think about that that's a great explanation of that. and then i get to the graphs where you're seeing the, the the torque at different points in the cycle and why do you have four strokes and why do you align the pistons why is it the one on the outside or is it is it up while the two in the middle are down and then the one on the outside is up again well it's because if you line up the suck squeeze bang blow you always have one doing the bang which is when you get the power so it's it's cool it's i was just Very cool like, i thought the I only sad this. part is i don't have one in my car and neither do you no, it's kind of like that, actually. Um, I still remember as a kid the first time being told that, no, no, the sound of a car engine is lots and lots of explosions per second. And I was like, what? It's like, no, it's <laughs> genuinely lots of explosions happening very quickly. And I, I thought that couldn't be right. But no, that is exactly, exactly what right. it is. Like internal combustion. Wow. It's not fire, it's explosion. I'm really kind of looking forward to the day that uh, we aren't hearing constant explosions as we drive. I had my window open on a beautiful day the other day and I'm driving and all of a sudden I'm in all this traffic and it's so loud and I had to close the window because it was so annoying. But if everybody was driving an EV, I could have kept my window open and enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, apart from all that horrible tire noise, we'll have to find a way around that now. Well, but that's nothing compared. I mean, I was only going 20, 30 miles an hour in, in, you know, city traffic. So Ah. that wasn't a big deal. But it was just as loud. Yeah. That's actually interesting now that I drive an EV too driving around the town the difference is massive but once you're on the motorway the the main noise i was hearing wasn't the explosions the main noise i was hearing was my tires doing their thing and sticking me to the road and that has not gotten less yeah i don't think teslas are terribly well sound insulated because i don't think it should be as loud as it is It, it is noisier than i expected when you're on the highway well so i went from a ford fiesta which has small little tires to a tesla model 3 which has big sporty tires so there's an awful lot more area of rubber (laughs) yeah yeah and with the weight by the way i would like to batteries i think with the weight of the batteries in the tesla that bigger area of rubber is also being squished into the road with a little bit more um gumption yeah yeah 
I would like to state right here that listening to EV drivers is like listening to reformed smokers. <laughs> really annoying people, you know? Well, I'm still in the honeymoon stage. Every, every morning when I walk out my front door and I see a midnight blue Tesla, it's like, oh, and it's mine. I'm still in that stage. <laughs> Thanks to the pandemic, I have driven it four times, but Gosh darn it, I'm looking forward to, to, to actually being out of lockdown and being able to actually experience it. You know, sometimes nowadays I just get in my car and drive. And I've <laughs> never done that before. I went up to a local area here called Palos Verdes and I just drove around. With the, it's a very quiet area, so I was able to open my windows and it was just delightful. Just go drive for no reason. Well, from May 10th, we're allowed, we're allowed to drive further again. So okay. it's not too far away. All right. Well. This is not Tesla week? No, indeed not. Um, yeah, we've cleansed your palates and all of that. So just remains for me to remind you that uh, until next time, remember to stay patched so you stay secure. Well, that's going to wind us up for this week. Don't forget to send in your dumb questions. Everything is fiddly recordings. Comments and suggestions by emailing me at allison at podfeet.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at podfeet. Remember, everything good starts with podfeet.com. You want to become a patron of the Podfeet podcast? Go to podfeet.com slash Patreon. Want to do a one-time donation? Podfeet.com slash PayPal. Want to join the community over on Facebook? Podfeet.com slash Facebook. Want to join the community outside of Facebook? That's podfeet.com slash Slack. And if you want to join the fun in the live show, like so many people did, we had a blast this week, head on over to podfeet.com slash live on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific time and join the friendly and enthusiastic Nocilla Castaways. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed. Oh,